I would like for us to try just a verse or two of Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. It's on page 32 of your hymnal. Page 32. All praise to Him who reigns above in majesty so chapter 41, while you're turning and before we sing, I want to read something to you. I get a lot of literature and I get a lot of things that, uh, you know, junk mail, just like you do. And uh, if I gave to everything that I, that I uh, uh, received asking for funds, I probably would have to be uh, on food stamps and everything else. You can't give to all of it. You have to pray about it and ask the Lord to lead you. But here's something that we got in the mail. And this is what it says. It says, this is the story of Noah McNinch, an 11-year-old boy in the sixth grade. Uh, in, two, in February of 2022, Noah was diagnosed with leukemia. 
He is having lots of chemo, medications, and hospital stays. This will continue for 18 more months. Noah is a very good child and takes all of this in good spirits. This has been a long journey. I'm asking the church to pray for Noah. And if God puts it on your heart to send him cards for Christmas and his birthday. Noah loves mail time. I am Noah's granny and I will thank you and God bless you. Merry Christmas, uh, Davis McNoah. Now, we have a card circulating this morning for Ruth Toomey, that is Rebecca Smith's mother who recently had surgery. We'd like for you to sign that card, put something on it. It's, uh, I guess it's out there on the table, okay? Uh, thank you, Betty, for doing that. And I would like for somebody maybe to start a card, if we can't do it this week, next week, for Noah, and let's send him a card from Grace Church uh, and tell him that we're thinking about him and praying for him. Perhaps as well, our friend Mike Jenkins, who's in North Carolina. You'd be surprised how uh, a card like that from a church, just with remarks that they can read over and over again, lifts them up and strengthens them. So pray for this young boy, Noah, 11 years old. Pray for Mike Jenkins whom I have mentioned earlier, and pray for Ruth Toomey uh, and her recovery from surgery. All right, let's ask the Lord's blessings now on our study. We'll be again in Genesis chapter 41 today. We're going to ask the Lord to help us as we look into his word. Father, I stretch my hand chapter 41 in your Bibles. We are going to be moving along uh, pretty, pretty, at a pretty rapid pace uh, from last week on. I want to speak to you one more time today on the Pharaoh's dreams and the butler's testimony. The Pharaoh's dreams and the butler's Testimony. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 41. It says at the end, verse 1, of two full years, Pharaoh dreamed, and he stood by the river, and there came up out of the river seven well-favored cows, fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed. And they stood by the other cows upon the brink of the river. 
And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed cows did eat up the seven well-favored and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He went back to sleep, and he dreamed a second time. Behold, there were seven ears of corn that came up upon one stalk. Rank, which is an old word that means fat, and good. And behold, seven thin ears, and blasted with the east wind, sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. Pharaoh awoke, and it was a dream. In the morning... He was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof, and Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Then spoke up the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me in ward in prison in the dungeon, in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. We dreamed a dream, and one night, I and he, we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew, servant to the guard, captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams, to each man according to his dream he did interpret. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me, the Pharaoh, restored unto office, and him, the baker, he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself, changed his clothing, and came in unto Pharaoh. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Thank you. Pharaoh, as we have seen, has had a dream. A dream that has troubled him. In fact, he had two troubling dreams in one night. The first dream concerned cows. Fourteen of them to be exact. When's the last time you had a nightmare about cows? You had any nightmare, any cow nightmares lately? Uh, Most of the time you dream about something, uh, maybe a reptile, a serpent, or a snake, or something that's uh, otherworldly, but you don't really have nightmares about cows or corn. Any of you dreamed that a stalk of corn is after you? See me after the service, we'll get you a good psychiatrist. Well, he had uh, two dreams, and the first one was about cows, 14 of them. And he says that seven of them were fat and healthy, and seven of them were thin and about to die. And according to the text, verse 4 the unhealthy cows, in the King James Version, did eat up the unhealthy cows. Now, the did eat up is in the imperfect mood. You remember when you studied English and you had tense and you had mood and you had, okay, well, this is in the imperfect mood. And what the imperfect mood indicates, it, it indicates continuous action. So what he's saying here is the unhealthy cows 
ate and ate and ate and ate and kept eating up the healthy cows, which, of course, if nothing is done, we will eat up all of the healthy cows. That's the idea behind the dream. That's what is troubling. If, if something is not done to eliminate the unhealthy cows, no healthy cows will be left to supply meat and milk. Not only that, but the economy of Egypt will be devastated. Now, I could take off here and talk about some unhealthy things going on in the United States. And we think in the United States, when we have these unhealthy things, unhealthy mental things, unhealthy moral things, unhealthy spiritual and ethical uh, things, we think that if we throw money at things, that'll correct it. We just spend some more money. You know, we build bigger schools and we have more sophisticated this and bigger this, that, and the other. But the, the, the thing is, is just like Pharaoh dreamed, it will continue to devour until it's all eaten up. David asked, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundations of America are being destroyed. And maybe you haven't had a dream, but we could have had a dream. We ought to be dreaming about the survival of this nation because there are things acting here in this country eating up all of the principles and all of the good things that this country is built upon. If that's destroyed, then the economy and everything else will be destroyed. Now, it is, no, it is said, notice in verse 2, so we're going to look at this in a little bit more detail today. That's the reason I felt constrained, I think, to go back over it one more time before moving on. It says in verse 2 that these cows came up out of the river. Now, that river is the Nile River. They came up out of the river, but they fed in a meadow. Now, it was the Nile that waters the meadow. Of course, the Nile River was, of course, the lifeblood of Egypt. In fact, the Nile River was worshipped as the main source of life in Egypt. Let me read this quote to you by a history.com writer. The Egyptian religion even venerated a deity, a god, flooding and fertility. They venerated a deity of flooding and a god of fertility, of flooding and fertility. His name was Hapy, H-A-P-Y. And he was depicted as a chubby man with blue or green skin. The ancient Egyptians thought that the Nile was the gift of the gods. They equated it with life itself, and they organized their daily lives according to the high and low levels of its water. From nourishing agricultural soil to serving as a transportation route, the Nile was vital to ancient Egypt's civilization. It flowed northward for 4,160 miles from the east-central Africa to the Mediterranean. Without it, there would be no Egypt. 
So the Nile River is vitally associated with the life and the prosperity of Egypt, and Pharaoh's dream associated the cows with the Nile. Now, in his second dream, he saw seven ears of corn. Verse 5, seven ears of corn on one stalk. And in the King James Version, those seven good ears are described as rank, R-A-N-K, an old word for fat, and good. The Hebrew word that's used here, bari, means plump and plenteous and fat. But then he saw, in verse 6, he saw seven thin and blasted ears of corn, and the thin ears devoured, although a different word is used, a Hebrew word, bela, is used here, which means to swallow up. It is in the imperfect mood again. The seven, seven thin and blasted corn ears kept on swallowing, kept on swallowing, kept on consuming the seven rank or fat and good ears. The cows indicate a coming failure in Egypt of the availability of livestock. Suppose all of a sudden the livestock in America was taken away. You couldn't buy any steaks, you couldn't buy any pork chops, you couldn't buy any chicken, you couldn't get any turkey. You'd all have to go vegan, whether you liked it or not. But then there's coming another one that's going to wipe out the vegetables and the corn. The cows indicate a coming failure in Egypt of the availability of livestock and the corn a, a critical shortage of agricultural food products. In other words, the two dreams of Pharaoh depict the utter ruin of Egypt if something is not done. But of course, at this point, the Pharaoh doesn't know this. He doesn't know what these dreams mean. So what does he do? Verse 8, look at verse 8. He calls in, the next morning, he calls in, the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. First thing he does is he sends for his advisors. The wise men and the magicians of Egypt. Now the Hebrew word that's translated magician is the word chatom. And it tells us that these men were diviners. These men were astrologers. Uh, they especially possessed with the occult knowledge. The so-called wise men were of a different class. They weren't looked upon as occultists exactly. They were looked upon as highly intelligent and highly discerning and able to figure out things without relying upon dark magic. But whatever they were, neither the magicians nor the wise men could interpret the Pharaoh's dreams. Now, there are a lot of lessons in this, but I'm just going to give you one or two, and it's this. Neither human reason nor information obtained from the spirit world, from the occult, is sufficient to guide us through the mysteries of life 
or advise us concerning the future. I want you to turn in your Bibles now to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You would be amazed, I mentioned this some time back, but I'll touch on it again this morning. You would be amazed at the growth today of the occult. You would be amazed at how many millions of people are relying upon some word from the spirit world, which they think they're getting, to solve their problems, to guide them through life, and to give them some answers about life and death and eternity. Well, may I suggest to you that there's only one book that can give you any information about life. If you're wondering how you are to live your life, if you're wondering what the end of your life is going to be, if you're wondering is there anything beyond this life, there's only one book that gives that information that has a record of accuracy. Nothing the scriptures teach has ever been disproved. Nothing scientific, uh, medical, or any other thing. The Bible says that the life was in the blood thousands of years before scientists discovered that. The Bible speaks of various things, like we talk about the northern empty place, the empty place in the north. The scripture mentions all of that. Many, many things the scriptures mention way before science ever really, quote, discovered it. You realize, of course, that today when we have computers, we have the ability to talk to somebody on the other side of the world. You realize that all of this information and all of these scientific principles have always been here. They were here a thousand years ago. They were here 2,000, 3,000 years ago. It's just now the Lord has enabled man to discover them and to utilize them. But they've always been here. For thousands of years, we just used, uh, you know, we finally remember that you might have mentioned uh, or heard mentioned in your history class about the invention of the wheel. <laughs> well, uh, for uh, horses and oxen and things like that were used for thousands of years and before we had tractors and all that. My dad raised cotton, corn, and peanuts before he sold the farm. And they had to plow the field the old-fashioned way with mules and a plow. And that is hard work. He finally got a tractor a couple of years before he sold the farm. That's tough, especially in southwest Georgia when it's 102 and 3, 4, 5 degrees out there in July and August. And you're out plowing a field. It is tough, tough work. Well, all of these things that we've discovered have always been here but the Lord told the prophet Daniel, you can read about it in the book of Daniel. He said, in the last days, knowledge shall be increased and many shall run to and fro. If that's not a headline for today, I've never seen it. We're running to and fro. You can get on a jet plane in the morning and eat dinner in L.A., and go somewhere else, San Francisco, and be back here that evening to watch television with your family. We're running to and fro. Knowledge has been increased. We've learned all kinds of things. Well, as a result of that, people have forgotten God. They've forgotten the Scriptures. 
But then finally it dawns on them as they get older, as they are confronted with certain things in life, it dawns on them, well, there's, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. Uh, I'm getting gray-headed. I'm getting old. I'm getting, and uh, they start wondering about life. And so what are they doing? Well, they're not going back and consulting the scriptures. It is difficult to find just some teaching of the scriptures. You can find preachers everywhere. But what about, let's just study the scripture. Well, here we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Pharaoh was no different. He called in his wise men, he called in his magicians, his occultists, and he said, I got to know what these dreams mean. Well, we might be asking today, what do all of these things happening in my life and in this country, what do they mean? The Bible has the answer. But the first lesson that I want to give you, maybe the only lesson from this particular aspect of Genesis 41 is this. You will not be able to get any answers about how life operates or what is beyond life from men, from the intelligence of men, from the stars, from astrologers, from uh, the occult, from the spirit world. You won't be able to get any information. I know people, I personally know people who have consulted spiritists to get ideas, uh, get lessons about something going on in their life. And you know, it's like the guy that called somebody that advertised and said they could tell them this, that, and the other. And he called, and a very, a very educated sounding voice answered the, answered the phone and said, hello. And he said, well, is this a cult 909 or whatever it was? And uh, they said, yes, it is. Who's calling? He said, don't you know? <laughs> if you can't tell me who's calling, I think I'll just hang up. Why waste my money on a phone call to you if you don't know who's even calling? My friends, listen, the scripture, and I'll say something about this in just a moment. The scriptures teach us that this world is resting upon a lie. There's a lie everywhere. You can't find out the truth except in the scripture. You have to get in the word of God. You have to get in the scripture. You have to ask the Lord, show me and teach me your word to get any answers. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's go over to verse uh, 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. Now, Paul writes this. It is written... Where is it written? Well, various places. One place it's written is Isaiah 29. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now, the word destroy here is a Greek term, apolumai. I know some of you have read the book of Revelation, and you read in Revelation chapter 9 about the king or the angel of the bottomless pit. And his name is Apollyon. He's called the destroyer. That's the word that's used right here, destroy. It means to ruin. It means to put out of the way. Okay, I will destroy 
the wisdom of the wise. Now, I want you to notice that it is God himself who does this. He has made it impossible for men to understand life, for men to be saved by human understanding and intellect, or for men to gain an understanding of life and life beyond life from the spirit world. God himself has set that up so that you can't get any information in that way. Now, people can lie to you and think, make you think you're getting it, but you don't. In other words, let me say it this way. The salvation of the Bible, no life itself, cannot be figured out. You can't figure it out. If you really start thinking and you really start exploring and you really start asking, you really start reading, you're going to run into a blank wall. You're going to run into a block wall. Life and salvation cannot be figured out. God has to show us what it's all about and how to get through it successfully. Didn't the Lord Jesus tell us, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you want to know something about life, if you want to know something about death, if you want to know something about life beyond this life, you have to get in the Word of God. Real life, real spiritual life, life worth living can only come from the Word of God. You have to take in the Word of God and you have to give out the Word of God to know anything about life and the salvation of Scripture. Real understanding only comes from divine revelation. Jesus said to Peter and the other disciples, when he asked them, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're one of the Old Testament prophets reincarnated. Some of them say you're John the Baptist. Some of them say this and that. Who do you say that I am? Well, we think you're the Messiah. We think you're the Son of God. And this is what Jesus said. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you. Reveal, reveal is revelation. Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father in heaven. Only the Father can teach us. All right, let's go on in verse 19. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Now, this word wisdom is the word S-O-P-H-I-A, Sophia, and the word wise is sophos. Sophia, sophos, wisdom and wise. This is the root word for many English words. For example, sophistication. Sophistication. A sophisticated person is a person who's wise in the ways of the world. All right, when you get in high school, you're first a what? A fresh man. You're a freshman, a freshman. That's the ninth grade, right? What are you in the tenth grade? You are a sophomore, which translated means Sophia, wise, more from moron, you are a wise fool. When you're a 10th grader, you're a wise fool. That's where the word sophomore 
comes from. You're a year ahead of the fresh man, and you are a year behind the older, which is where we get our word senior from. So this word, Sophia or Sophia, suffers wisdom and wise, those are the words used here in this verse 19. I will bring to nothing the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I'll bring to nothing the understanding of the, of the prudent, of the prudent, of those men who believe that they have understanding, but who really are fools. Now look at verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Where is the sophos, S-O-P-H-O-S? Where is the sophisticated wise man, the philosopher, the educated one? Where is the grammatus, that's the word translated scribe, the man who schooled in the difficulties of the law, the religious teacher, the religious scholar, where is he? Where is the sudzetetes, that is the, the, the disputer, the sophisticated and learned debater? Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer? He says, has not God made the foolishness the wisdom made the made foolish the wisdom of this world. And that word that is translated foolish in the King James Version, you may have some other word there. It is the word from which we get our word moron. It is moreno, foolishness. Did you know that Jesus called people, some people, morons? Did you know that? In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 26, listen to this. Everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does not do them shall be likened unto a moron man, a foolish man, whence built his house upon the sand. Only a fool would build his house on sand. But Jesus said, everyone who will not hear and obey what he has said and what he has taught, they're doing just that. The house there is your soul. It is your life. You're building on sand if you're not building on the teaching and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be like a foolish man, a moron, that built his house on sand. What are we building on? Are we building it on Christ and the Word of God? Are we building it on church membership? Are we building it on a good family? Are we building it on morality? What are we building on? We must be building on Christ. Watch it now. Verse 25. Verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The nonsense of God is wiser than the most advanced human reason. And God's weakness, God at his weakest point, is infinitely stronger 
than human strength at its strongest point. Now, what he's telling us here is that the message of the cross, as well as life itself, if you really look into life, is absolutely nonsense to those who are being destroyed. Lynn and I were talking yesterday, and we were talking about the stories of the Bible. The human race began with two people, Adam and Eve. You say, well, that's a story. Yeah, that's a story, but that's the only story you got. That's all you got. And you know, that's why the Scripture says that the only way you'll be able to understand, the only way you'll be able to have a foundation to stand on, the only way you'll be able to have a hope in life and a hope in death is through faith. And faith is simply believing God. It's believing God. That's what faith is. Believing God, believing the Lord Jesus Christ, believing his word and standing on that. We read tales of people who died and they died praising the Lord and they died singing hymns to God when they were being burned at the stake. You ought to get a book called Fox. F-O-X-E, Fox's Book of Martyrs. You get that and read it today, you won't be able to sleep tonight. Of all the thousands of souls that have died simply for being Christians, do you know that Christians are being persecuted this very hour as I speak in other parts of the world? In other parts of the world where Islam rules and reigns, they're persecuting Christians, they're putting Christians to death. That's happening now in other parts of the world. How could those people do that? You say, I don't think I could do that. But you see, you're not dying. You need that. You need dying grace when you're dying. What you need now is living grace. You let the Lord take care of the dying part. He'll give you the grace when you come to that hour. He says here that the nonsense of God is wiser than the most advanced human reason. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength that is strongest. So what he's telling us here is that the message of the cross is nonsense to those who are being destroyed, but it is God's wonderful power and wisdom to us who are being saved. Look at verse 26. You see your calling, brethren. You've been called by the Spirit, by the gospel, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see your calling. Not many wise men. There are not many folks that are intellectually wise after the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble as kings and queens are called. We heard that Queen Elizabeth, who recently died, we heard that she said, whether this is true or not, I cannot verify it. But we heard that she said she was hoping that Christ would return in her lifetime, that she might cast her crown at his feet. Well, I hope that's true. I hope that's true. That Queen Elizabeth was a believer. So he says here in verse 27, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised by the world, 
God has chosen, and things which are nothing to bring to nothing things that are. What a statement. What a statement. The message of the cross is designed to destroy the wisdom of men. It is designed to throw a person into a situation where there's no way to look but up. Nowhere to look but up. You know, when God made that boat, told Noah how to make that boat, it only had one window and it was up there. You had to look up. You had to look toward heaven while they were in that boat for a year or so during the flood. Now, why does the Lord do things this way? It's very easy. It's answered right here in the last phrase of verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord said, I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory I will not give to another. Isaiah 42 and verse 8. Here's the bottom line. Bottom line. Any salvation which exalts men or enables a man to in any way boast stands upon the wisdom of this world. Now follow me now. And the wisdom of this world stands upon demonic wisdom, the wisdom of the devil. Now you remember the basis upon which Adam rejected the word of God? He rejected the word of God by receiving and believing the word of Lucifer, whom we know as the devil and Satan. In other words, Adam exchanged the wisdom of God for the wisdom of the devil. The wisdom of the devil became the wisdom of this world. And the wisdom of this world is all about boasting in everything and in everyone but the Lord. But the wisdom which comes from heaven boasts only in the Lord. I want you to think about that. When Adam partook of the fruit that God told him not to partake of, from the hand of his wife Eve, Adam and Eve believed the devil. The devil said, Ah, he just doesn't want you to eat of this fruit because your eyes will be opened. And then you'll be like him. And then you'll be independent of him. You can make your own decisions. You can determine for yourself what is good and what is evil. And that is precisely what Adam and Eve did. They chose the wisdom of the devil over the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of the devil became the wisdom of this world. And when you're walking according to the wisdom of this world, guess what? You're not walking according to the wisdom of God that's in the word of God by which we should live. The magicians and the wise men could not interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And so they couldn't advise him. And of course, the Lord set all this up. Let's go back to Genesis 41 now for a moment. The Lord set all this up so that the testimony of Joseph, when he came, would make a solid impression on the Pharaoh, and where it would be the only sure basis of hope for the future of Egypt. 
And this brings us to this thought. Only the Lord knows the future. Do you know why people seek the occult? Because they want to know the future. They want to know what's going to happen. Only the Lord knows the future, and only the Lord can teach us about it and lead us through it. Now this brings us to the testimony of the butler. Genesis 41, verse 9. The butler suddenly came to himself, and he said, Oh, I do remember my faults this day. Verse 9. I remember my faults. Genesis 41, 9. I remember my faults this day. Oh, I remember Pharaoh was angry with me and angry with the baker, and you put us in prison. And we found ourselves after a little while with a, a, a young man there who was a Hebrew. And we both had dreams in one night. And we told him our dreams. And he interpreted those dreams. And just as he interpreted to us, it came to, ex- to pass exactly like he said. And uh, Pharaoh says, and we'll, we'll look at this next week. Pharaoh said, call him. That's verse 14. Call him. Now, here's the first thing that you need to know about the testimony of the chief butler. It's this. Men, all men and every man, will be made to confess the truth sooner or later. This man had kept silent for two full years. He hadn't told a living soul about what happened in that jail. He hadn't told anybody. He had hidden the truth of Joseph within himself. He had vital information about an injustice regarding Joseph's imprisonment. Now you talk about injustice, my goodness, could I take off on this? I am not against this young woman that has been released from Russia because she is a homosexual. I think she needs to be saved just like a heterosexual does. And I'm certainly not against her because uh, she is a black person. That doesn't bother me at all. Some of my best friends as I was growing up were black people, though I lived in the deep south where racism was rampant. But you got people over there in Russia, you got a man that they brought up that's been in prison for four years, and he's a military man. He fought for the United States, and this young lady that is now back in the United States wouldn't even stand at the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. She won't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, but she's been brought back to America, and a man who fought for America is allowed to remain in prison to rot. Is that justice? That's not justice. That's not justice. They've lied to us, and they've told us, well, you know, we, had to, we just had one choice, and that is that they said it wasn't about anybody else. It was about Brittany. And it was either take her or leave her. That's not the truth. The truth was, you got to have one. We got two people here. You can pick one of them. And they knew what was politically accepted, and that's what they did. That's injustice. That's not 
justice. And you may not look, you must not look for justice in this world because you're not going to find it. The justice is going to be done when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. And then men are going to be made to confess the truth. This man had been silent for two years. He had vital information about an injustice regarding Joseph's imprisonment. And you know something? This old world has done it for two millennia. Over 2,000 years, this world has done all it can. It's doing more today to suppress information concerning the man, Jesus. I heard a man pray, I think it was yesterday on the news. Uh, He was standing in front of, I think, did any of you see the uh, Army-Navy football game? Any of you ever see the Army-Navy football game? Always an exciting game. Always an exciting game. Went into overtime. First time in history went into overtime. Well, before that game, they had, of course, the branches of the military representatives assembled. And this fellow stood up, probably a five-star general or something, and he reads a prayer. He reads a prayer. What was wrong with his prayer? He did not pray in the name of Jesus Christ. He did not say, we call on you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. He did not close with, we ask this for Jesus' sake. Therefore, I tell you that all that he said was not heard from heaven. Jesus said, no man comes unto the Father but by me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And whatever you do, however many good deeds we do, however many prayers we pray, however many messages I teach, means nothing if it's not done in the name and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. God will not accept it. God will not hear it. I told you about a friend of mine who was invited to open up the Congress in Washington, D.C. He was excited about it until they said, now listen, you can't pray in the name of Jesus. You can't pray in the name of Jesus. I'm going to pass out. I think I'm going to duplicate and pass out for you because it's too embarrassing to read it from this pulpit. But I'm going to pass out to you some information about one of your late night show hosts on television. I want you to read for yourself what he said about our Lord Jesus Christ. He said that on television in one of his shows. I'm going to pass that out. I'm going to get that duplicated this week, God willing. I'm going to pass it out. And I hope you're right to the president of CBS and tell them this is appalling. If they said something about Mohammed, their studio would be burned down. If they said something about Mohammed, they would be fearful for their lives. But they're going to malign the savior of Christians because they know we're not going to do anything about it. We're just going to say, well, brother, I'll pray for you. That's exactly right. The magicians and the wise men couldn't interpret Pharaoh's dreams, so they couldn't advise him. And I say again, the Lord set all this up so that Joseph would make a solid impression on the Pharaoh. Okay? And for 2,000 years, this world has tried to suppress the gospel, and they're really doing it today. You can do anything you want to do. You can say anything you want to say, but you can't say anything about Jesus Christ. 
But I'll tell you this, the time is coming when the world and everyone in it will be made to confess him. Let me read you three passages of Scripture that prove this. First, Isaiah 45, verse 23 and 24, I have sworn by myself the world has gone out of my mouth in righteousness. It shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. And all that are incensed against me will be ashamed. Romans 14, verse 11. It is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, in earth, and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The old butler, he had to remember and acknowledge Joseph. He had to. And my friends, we can remember and confess the Lord now during this period of grace. Uh, we will be compelled to remember him and confess him in the great day of judgment. Men now can confess him and have their sins forgiven. But in that day, when he comes in great glory, men will be compelled. They will have to bow to him and confess him as Lord before God throws him into the pit prepared for the devil and his angels. I suppose the butler would never have told anyone were it not for the unique set of mitigating circumstances that befell him. He thought nobody knew about it. <clears throat> he never thought that the God of Joseph knew about it. In truth, he was forced to confess. So he couldn't possibly let such an opportunity pass by to make points with the Pharaoh. See, Joseph was the butler's ticket to impressing the Pharaoh. Now, young people, you put yourself in Joseph's place. And you better learn now that there's only one person that will stick with you. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one person who will never forget you. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like this man forget Joseph, your friends will forget you. He's the only one you can really trust. When you're in trouble, you can call on him and he'll hear you. As David says in Psalm 91, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Yes, the butler told the Pharaoh about Joseph, but his motive was not really to help Joseph, but to help himself. All right, I'm going to close out with this. If you have your Bibles open, I want you to look in chapter 40 for just a moment. Genesis chapter 40. How did Joseph interpret the dreams of the baker and the butler? In chapter 40, verses 6, 7, and 8, you can read what Joseph said. Verses 6, 7, and 8. Joseph said to them in verse 8, Do not interpretations belong to God? He gave God the glory. He said the only one that can interpret your dreams is God. 
I don't have any kind of special ability to know what your dreams mean, but I'm going to ask the Lord, the God that I serve, and he will give us an answer. Joseph told them that only his God could tell the future. He said only the Lord could help them. He said only the Lord can interpret your dreams. Now turn back to Genesis 41. Genesis 41, beginning in verse 9, going through verse 13. You'll see there that the butler correctly stated the truth about Joseph. He said, Joseph correctly interpreted our dreams. Well, when Joseph talked to those guys, he told them about the Lord. And he told them that only the Lord could interpret their dreams. Now, did you see one word in the butler's testimony about the Lord? Do you see in any way the butler giving the Lord any praise or any credit? Is he at all concerned with the fault he has committed against Joseph? No. He never thought about God at all, and he had forgotten all about Joseph until it was forced out of him. Until it was forced out of him. Now, here's a good lesson for us. I'll close with this lesson. This is the way it is with the people of this world. They never think on the Lord. They never call on Him. They're never thankful for His goodness. Every day when the sun comes up, you wake up and you have your right mind and you know your name. That's the blessing of the Lord. You got a roof over your head. You got a bed that you sleep on. You have water. You go and turn a knob and water comes out. You have kitchens. You have bedrooms. You have... Bathrooms, you have all of these wonderful things are gifts from the goodness and grace of the Lord. But when they stand before the King of Kings, all of these people that have forgotten the Lord, the exact confession is going to be the confession of this uh, butler right here. Oh, I do remember my faults this day. Verse 9. But when the Lord comes, when the King of Kings comes, King of Kings, and people say, I remember my faults, it'll be too late then. It'll be too late. The day of judgment will have come, and the Lord of glory will divide the wise from the foolish, and the sheep from the goats, and the wheat from the tares. And he will bring judgment upon all of those who wouldn't ever confess him. They'll confess him then, but they'll be made to confess him. The Lord will respond to them when they say, I do remember my faults. He'll respond, well, I don't remember you. We never talked. You never said one word to me during your entire life. You've never said any, except when it was convenient. But you thought you could use me. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Once the Pharaoh called Joseph. Now listen, once the Pharaoh called Joseph, you never hear of the butler again. Never hear of him again. Not a word about him. He's gone. He's insignificant. I don't know what happened to him. But the guy that told him his dream ended up being his governor, the prime minister of Egypt. This young man, Joseph, became the prime minister of Egypt at the age of 30. 
30 years old. Oh, my friends, we got a greater, a greater ruler than Pharaoh. We've got someone to confess our Lord Jesus Christ. I beg you to confess him now. I beg you to call on the Lord now. I beg you to say, Lord, I don't know you, but I want to know you. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to study your word. I want to know you because I know to know you is life eternal. This is life eternal. They know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his word. Let's stand together. I hope you'll think about what we've studied today. It's kind of some old ground, but we'll move forward from this point on, God willing. A different set of verses each week until we have completed the study of the story of Joseph. I know that all of you are interested in some way in the Lord and the gospel, or you wouldn't be here. I'm glad that you're here. I could say I appreciate your presence, but you need to hear the Word of God just as I need to hear the Word of God. And uh, as Bob Dylan said many years ago, the times, they are changing. And I've been warning for over 50 years about the times that we're now beginning to see. So let me encourage you to seek the Lord now while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Turn from yourself and turn to the Lord, and you will find mercy to help and grace in time of need. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this precious, your precious word. We thank you for the truths that are contained therein. Pray that you'll help us to think on these things and ask the Spirit of the Lord for assistance and guidance and light. We are as people walking in a dark world, and we need the light of life. We need the light of eternal life. From these little stories that are given to us in the Bible, we see the great truths of the gospel and the great truths of your salvation through your only beloved Son, even our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, for whose sake we ask these things. Amen. All right, let's sing under the blood, and I'll let you go. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe by the bless you. May the Lord lead you. May the Lord guide you. And may the Lord save you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for his sake. Amen.